With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Podcast Miller and Dace, and this is the rare occurrence where we are not talking sports, at least in some vein. Um, this is going to serve as our breakdown and our enjoyment of breaking down something that we both like a lot, which is the Star Wars movie franchise, the most successful movie franchise in the history of movies. It doesn't get any bigger than Star Wars. And uh, yeah, Steve, I think you are a Return of the Jedi top-ranking guy. I am a New Hope top-ranking guy. Sorry if I just misspoke for you. I think New Hope is the best of them all because I really think it might be the one Star Wars movie that there's no scene or story arc in that movie that you couldn't eliminate and not feel some pain. I mean, to me, like you know, Han Solo and Leia and Chewie and three PO inside of some alien you know asteroid dwelling aliens gullet was a waste of 10 minutes in my opinion so you could do away with that and not impact the story at all don't think you can do that with a new hope so that's why it's my number one but um we both Uh, uh, to me empire strikes back is the greatest science fiction film ever made yeah we we just disagree on it i mean it's my number two so it's not like it's the gone with the wind it's the gone with the wind of science fiction films it's good it's good so we, we both we both really love Star Wars. And by the way, if you don't and you want to just listen to this to, to you know, poke fun and that, that's fine. Have your willies. But I'm not going to reply to you if you reply to me because I'm just not into that sort of stuff. Um, I think if you're listening to this, you probably do care and like it. And that's great. Welcome aboard. Warning right up front. This is all full of spoilers. This is we are assuming by now that you're if you're a Star Wars fan, you wanted to listen to this, you have seen the movie. If you have not seen the movie, stop listening to this podcast. All right? We we it's on you if you keep listening and you weren't paying attention to me what I'm saying now. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Turn it off. Come back and listen to it at another time. And with that, let's um, let's dive in. Uh, the Last Jedi waited two years for this. There were a number of, I don't know if cliffhangers is the right version, but literally Luke Skywalker appeared less than a minute in The Force Awakens, which is the first movie in this latest trilogy. And he was standing on the edge of a cliff as Ray was holding out his lightsaber, so it was almost literally a cliffhanger. And... I would say the first 15 minutes or 20 minutes, maybe more of this movie, actually irritated 
me to the point where I was a little angry. And I was irritated with Hux, General Hux, who's basically the highest military ranking official of the you know New Order, or the, the First Order, sorry, not the New Order. The First Order, this dude's the highest ranking military official, and we're going to do a can you hear me now bit with um, Poe. I, I just, I didn't think it was funny at all. I mean, it set a bad tone with me. So you see Ray picking up the lightsaber scene with Luke and Luke throws it over his freaking shoulder. That pissed me off actually. I'm not that that may actually made me angry. That felt like ah screw you guys, you know, we know you've been talking about this for 2 years. It had also told me one thing that there were other things in this movie that told me the same thing. JJ Abrams and Ryan John Ryan Johnson had absolutely zero there was zero continuity plan. They're making this up as they go along. There was no there was no plan to hand off the baton from this movie to the next one with any sort of consideration as to where the storyline was going to go. That told me that right up front. I, what do you think about those first two thoughts? Well, let me take the last thing you said first because that is true. J.J. Uh, Abrams even said when him and Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote the script for Empire Strikes Back, when they wrote The Force Awakens, they did not lay out a three-movie arc. He said this. So it, it has it's been just known, stupid. It has been known all along that this was the approach they were taking. Now I, I think I think Ryan Johnson um, here here's for years I've said on this podcast, I have a general policy that I don't criticize coaches when it fails if they were trying to be aggressive because too few will even try. If the if, if when the movie doesn't work, it's because, in my view, he tries he take he takes too many chances. But overall, when it does work, I think it soars. I mean, I think it is greatness when it does work. Um, I think he left very few story threads for J.J. Abram to pick up from. In fact, you could almost see this being the final chapter of a trilogy, more so than the middle. It is not a rehash of The Empire Strikes Back at all. It is clearly, um, it's much more of a reboot of the Star Wars franchise for the future. No question. Than even The Force Awakens. No question about it. Okay. Force Awakens was fan service to guys like us that played on yes. nostalgia the whole way through. This yes. movie was about killing nostalgia literally and figuratively. This movie was about passing the baton yes. from Captain Kirk to John Luke Picard. Okay? This is Star Wars the Next Generation, if you will. <laughs> and um, when you look at it, in the first film we got we got one baton pass. Solo to Finn. Finn, the reluctant hero, wants to run, has, you know, a past that he's not proud of, very Han Solo-esque, and, and he most of his scenes that aren't with Rey are with Han Solo. In this film, we had three baton passings. Snoke passes the baton to Ren. Um, Luke passes the baton to Rey. Uh, Leia passes the baton to Poe. That this is a clear bridging of a new generation there is no question about that and and what i've noticed there's two those that have been critical of the film the two things that i've noticed the most 
One is what they are projecting as the worldview of the film, which we'll get into later in the podcast. And it's a lot of people that agree with me politically, and I don't agree with their take on it at all. So um, I'm going to disagree with a lot of people I normally agree with. So I think our audience might find that interesting as to why. The other aspect is guys our era, our generation, that are not willing. You know, my, my editor and I had a 30-minute conversation, my assistant Todd and I, talked about this for 30 minutes when I got home from seeing it a second time this afternoon. And when it just boils down to, he's got a couple of legit gripes. What it just boils down to, though, is he's pissed off that it doesn't fit within the six films he grew up with. Mm-hmm. We're, it ain't about us anymore. We're the old guys now. We had our run, guys. Stop being Clint Eastwood and Grand Torino, you know? It's, it's okay for our kids to have the same... They don't have to gravy train off of us. It's okay for them to have the same feelings of originality and this belongs to us in our era that we had in the Cineplex in 77, 80, and 83. They can get that too. It's not about us. And that, I think, you know, when Kylo says, let the past die, kill it, he's talking twice, to us. Twice, twice. Every bit as much as he's talking to Ray. No doubt. Okay? And so I think that that's part of it is our generation is, is struggling with this idea that, yeah, we wanted we wanted new generations to love it as much as we do, but we wanted to love them to love it the same way and for the same reasons we do. They don't have to. It's a new generation now. It's their time now. It's their time to have escapist fantasy, and I'm going to let them have it. It doesn't have to line up with exactly the way that we want it to. Uh, I do think J.J. Abrams, though, will have a tough task on his hand uh, about what to do next. He just turned in his story idea to Disney this week for a movie that they are anticipating being released on December 20th, 2019. So that will be very fascinating. I know when they told Ryan Johnson he could do whatever he wanted, I wonder when J.J. Abrams saw the final product if he was like, well, this might be too much of what he wanted. And, you know, my theory a few weeks ago was that Ray would turn out to be a nobody. That has proven to be true, but I would caution this. I could see a scenario when we get to episode nine where where Ray is a nobody, like Kylo tells her, from a certain point of view. Right, exactly. Meaning there's another angle to this that is revealed, because I don't believe, if you look at her character, the way J.J. Abrams set her up, the way he set Snoke up in Episode Seven, I don't believe he entirely meant for Snoke to be offed right away. For him to essentially no be... Him, he's not the main protagonist. I don't think he, or or at least it wasn't going to be revealed until much later. And for Ray to essentially be, you know, an orphan that's just left behind by parents who traded her in for a twelve pack and a you know pack of camels. Okay, so my guess is he may tinker with that a little bit. We can get into some of that if you want. I and I have a prediction for episode nine that when we get down to that road too that I want to touch on. But I think that the movie. I think it is great when it's great. I could have done without the entire middle act with with Finn and Rose. Um, and I know why they did it. They, they needed some story device that would get him on the, the on Snope's ship so they could have the showdown with him and Phasma. And so this was the story trope they created to make that happen. That was, I think, a complete overall waste of everybody's time, though. But, bar, but beyond that... Um, you know, for me on a personal level, I've I've you know, I've been going through this whole thing on my own this whole past year about 
my career and everything I've done. And when I look at, you know, how the whole thing has fallen apart, what was the point of it? I totally identified with Luke Skywalker and where he was at in the movie. Um, I love the way the poetic ending of his, which I don't believe is an ending. I think you will see, I think, I think the intent was all three of the, of the major characters would each get their own grand finale, Han, Luke, and then Leia. Well, Carrie Fisher has passed on now. So I think you will see Luke return in episode nine as a force ghost to help to guide, continue to guide Ray the way Kenobi did uh, for Luke in, in episodes five and six. But um, I, I, I didn't find much about the film I did not like. I loved the beginning. I laughed out loud several times. I went to two different screenings that were both sold out, two different theaters, different sides of town. The audience loved, thought it was funny in the opening both times. Now, my wife agrees with you. She thought it was very forced. She didn't like it at all. She didn't really care for the film overall until we got to her. The film started when Snoke was killed. That's when, from the point Snoke was killed until the, the end, she was all in. Our oldest, our teenage daughter, who you know has watched all of these with me, thought it was great. She thought it was the best Star Wars movie since the original trilogy. She thought it was great all the way through. I, I loved what they did with the characters. I thought the special effects were absolutely phenomenal. Um, the, the final dogfight scene with the Millennium Falcon and those TIE fighters, just some beautiful cinematography. I, I, even though I knew it was coming, I, I, again, today, I still teared up when uh, Luke and Leia had their reunion at the end. Um, I, I, I love the movie, man. I didn't, I don't, I didn't want it to end. It did not feel, except for the Finn uh, storyline with Rose in the middle, it did not feel like the longest Star Wars movie to me at all. I didn't want it to end. I loved how, you know, what he did with, um, oh, the gal. I'm trying to Laura Dern's character. I can't remember her name. Holdo. Yeah, I love how what they did with her character. And the way she, she yeah, that that himself. that to me was an incredible and an, an incredible waste, an incredible waste of an opportunity to have Leia be the one to go and blow that up and oh, there's no doubt and her character that. that way. Now, obviously, they probably didn't shoot that with her death in the real world in mind. But here's here's again, folks. This this podcast already now I'll tell you will be as. Um, weird paced off kilter and cut up as the first 40 minutes of this movie was that I was going to criticize because we're going to go all over the place now. So we, we, we went from micro to 10,000 foot view and now back to micro. So we're just going to ramble. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, I don't like real world actors or actresses coming into the star Wars universe who have a resume Laura Dern was a key character in a tentpole franchise of Jurassic Park. <laughs> She's far too known. So when I see her in Star Wars, even with the purple hair, I think of Jurassic Park. I think of other things I've seen her in, and it makes her character not believable. And it does feel like a Star Wars, next, a Star Trek Next Generation, where Whoopi Goldberg is serving drinks on the holodeck. <laughs> okay? I don't like it. It's not believable. Her little pep talk after, you know, Leia went Mary Poppins and all that, 
is it is fell flat for me. Don't like that at all. They should have cast a nobody to play that role, and it would have been far better. And I'm not. I mean, she heck, she may have given a great performance. Don't know. Don't care because it totally was dead to me the minute that it that was Laura Dern's character. Don't like it. This is again. We have to remember how old we are. Okay. The Jurassic Park series of films she was in, the last Jurassic Park movie she was in was like 2001. That's almost 20 years ago. Now, if we had podcasting in 1977, I'm sure John Miller of 1977 would have said, I cannot believe they got (laughs) Sir Alec Guinness from Bridge on the River Kwai to play this Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, Hooded Jedi who dies after, you know, halfway through the... You see what I'm saying? Now, mm-hmm. who, the, what, who... What the hell 12-year-old boy knew who Sir Alec Guinness was in 1977? Did you know? Did you even know he was Sir Alec Guinness until you were, like, 19? Did you even know what that meant? Hell no. We got, we got to remember. We have to remember. This isn't our generation. This isn't ours anymore. I, I get that. And, that, and that. and that's what I'm going to end my commentary on this podcast with it's like for the first time in our your daughters pod- don't know who yeah, the heck Laura Dern in, is in the first time in our podcast history I actually have an outline uh, for myself because I wrote all these things down after my first viewing on Thursday night and I went and watched it again this afternoon just before we did this and in my opinions have, have dialed back a little bit but there are certain things that I am not probably going to yield on this is one of them your point is valid but really I, I can't review this. I can't give my opinions on this without my th- looking through my own prism. And while while, while your objection you're making is a good one, it's you know it's going to keep coming up because you know damn it this is this is maybe the strongest thing bit of nostalgia other than you know music from the 80s and 70s that I really care about. Frankly, so did, were you upset that Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor were in a Star Wars movie? I didn't have any problem with them. I don't know why. Okay. You know what? Maybe because generally I didn't like those movies anyway from a CG standpoint. And okay. Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor to me were the only two redeeming factors. But no, I did not. I, because I, they were, they were, they were, and remain current and contemporary stars. Laura Dern has not starred in a major motion picture in several years. I get what you're saying. I, I, I may, I, did, I feel the role that that person was supposed to play, especially after seeing, you know, the light speed jump, which was a freaking brilliant, a brilliant uh, move from a plot aspect. Absolutely now, here, loved it. Here's where I do agree, agree with you. Even if they obviously they weren't they weren't going to know Carrie was going to die, but what they should have done is the minute they came up with this idea for a female character to go out like that, whatever their plans were of with whatever their original outline was, well Han goes out here, Luke goes out here, Leia goes out here. The minute they came up with that idea, they should have immediately thought of. Listen, what you just said. If we're going to have a woman go out like that, what in the world are we going to conjure up in episode nine that's a better death for Princess nothing. Leia than that? Nothing. 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 She takes out Snoke, takes out, you know, Phasma. She's really who took out Phasma by blowing that ship up. You know, uh, she's going to take out half the First Order 
in one fell swoop in the same movie where we have that sweet ass scene where she uses the force to save herself from deep space how sweet was freaking that are you serious you didn't like that at all oh my gosh no i thought that was in mary freaking pop give her a little umbrella and she's mary poppins well, first of all, I like Mary Poppins. She, she, I think she, Emily, and I think Emily Blunt oh, is smoking hot, yeah, and I geez, can't wait to see her in Mary stop, Poppins next stop. year. Get, no, I'm not kidding. I do. So I, 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 I look forward to it. I like Mary Le- Poppins. Leia has never the only force sensitivity we've ever seen from her, at least in the theatrical universe. I'm not talking any of the literary universe that you know that is or isn't still canon. The only thing we've ever seen is her just stopping and pausing and looking reflective because she senses something. We've never seen the woman outside wow. in real freaking space that's we're, like, we're what, so neg- long, ne- negative 300 degrees? Where We've seen hundreds of science fiction movies in our lives where if you are outside an EVT, an extra vehicular whatever it, if you're outside in space without protection you're dead you're dead it's cold you can't survive you have you know blood vessels plot the science and i get that the, the science of the real world doesn't always have to line up with science fiction but they zoom in on leia's fingers and her face and there's ice crystals forming on it at least thanks for that but then she like opens her eyes in space and there's not blood coming out of them or whatever, and she just decides I'm gonna force my force cast myself back to the ship. And oh, by the way, when they open the door to the ship, we don't have a complete vacuum suck out. Those are the kinds of things that I think are avoidable mistakes that create too many plot holes for speculative people like me. I didn't like that. The last time we saw. Leia in a movie it was 30 years ago no we saw her in, I, in, in The Force Awakens but, but I mean I mean in terms of a story arc it was 30 years ago uh, you know this is the same conversation yeah, and, she, and, she, and she had sister. to rely on C-3PO to get Han and Luke and everybody out of trouble with the cannibalistic man-eating fuzzy Ewoks didn't use her force 30 powers. years ago I know we don't want to admit we have aged in 30 years, but we have. 30 years is a long time. When when your Iowa Hawkeyes were number one in the country in 1985, 30 years before that was uh, Buddy Holly and the Big, Bop, Big Bopper were making music, number one singles. 30 years is a long time. The presum- I'm sorry that Princess Leia is still not uh, as young and thin in a bikini strapped to Jabba the Hutt and as force useless as we remember her. But people change. The idea that the character would not evolve or change over the course of 30 years, the idea that the, that Leia would just assume, you know, I've got all these force powers. I guess I'm just never going to do ever anything with them ever. Um, they're never going to improve. They're never going to grow. They're never, never going to study them. 30 years. This is the same conversation I'm having with my editor. 30 years. Then she should have jumped on the Millennium Falcon and gone to Starkiller Base and used her awesome force powers to help there. But no, we just send Finn, Chewie, and Han to go rescue Rey. 
30 years, man. 30 years. Are you, are you any better at anything than you were 30 years ago? John? Okay, let's... Uh, uh, some things. Okay, let, let's... Uh, <laughs> let, let's... <laughs> let me... Okay, let me... I'm, I'm not conceding it, because then if I did, we'd both be wrong. But I'll concede for the sake of this podcast. Okay, she's got force powers and she can fly through space. How, 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 how are you reconciling human flesh, biological matter... In open space, so you got a probably force power same, for that probably too. The, probably the same way I'm reconciling hyperspace. I'm reconciling Anakin Skywalker being dismembered and and burnt to a crisp, uh, and then ten minutes later becoming the most powerful villain in the history of cinema. Probably the same way I'm reconciling how the hell they can understand droid beeps from not one but two different uh, units now, uh, from R2 to BB-8. Probably the same way I'm reconciling um, laser sabers. Probably the same way I'm reconciling uh, Yoda bringing an X-wing fighter up out of a swamp. Uh, probably the same way I'm reckoning. Should I continue? Weapons that can blow up entire planets. Weapons that can blow up entire star systems by uh, and uh, harnessing the power of all the of sun. those things are believable. What what part of you know this is like arguing about the Da Vinci Code? whether it's real or not, when everyone that ever bought the book bought it in the fiction section, this is the science fiction section. Science fiction. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, I just thought it looked stupid, horribly cheap. But uh, I thought it looked great. I thought it was great. I loved the same. Hey, you, 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 never, you, never, you, never, you never addressed what you think of Luke throwing the lightsaber over his shoulder. It blew me away, but I thought if given what they wanted to do after I saw the full arc of the character, um, I thought it was appropriate. I, at the time, it's jarring. Yeah, and jarring. The reason, it's jar the reason it's jarring is because this is our hero. This is our hero. Now, maybe it's just me and my full-time line of work, but, but I don't know. Have you been paying attention to the news recently? Hey, 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 we got any news headlines out there, guys that we thought for 10, 20, 30 years were great men, heroes, leaders? You know where I'm going with this? Listen, I did. I now, did. You, now, now, now you're like, you know, I'm not going to let you get around my kid without a freaking restraining order or my Second Amendment nearby, okay? So this idea that Luke Skywalker is a unique, a unique thing in human existence, the once heroic young man who doesn't finish well, the entire Old Testament is filled with men like this. The only reason we don't have it in the New Testament is most of those disciples got martyred before they could become old. All right, but, you know, by the end of his life, Solomon goes from the wisest man that ever lives to a guy who builds bigger temples for his mistresses than he built for the only God of the universe. It's not a unique story to see once great men finish poorly. That's pretty much actually the human condition of the yeah. male side of the species. I, I'm not even criticizing it for that. I'm talking about end of Force Awakens. We have this big, huge, monumental cliffhanger handoff. We revisit it two freaking years later, and the dude throws it over his shoulder and walks off the set. To me, on the heels of I didn't like the, you know, can you hear me now conversation between Hux and Poe, I'm like, what in the heck am I watching? What is this? This doesn't feel like Star Wars. But again, it's not your th Star Wars. That's I, whenever we get to the end of this. For me, for sure, I'm I, certainly we'll get to that point. Um, you know what I love about this, and I said this to my buddy today. 
I love that I'm listening to a bunch of middle-aged guys, middle-aged conservative guys like me, bitching and moaning about about the nostalgia, the valor, and the the honor and of, of a series of original movies written by a 60s hippie who wrote these as a takeoff of Nazi Germany and the Nixon administration. And, and, and he wanted to inspire people coming out of uh, the cynical era of the Kennedy and MLK assassinations and Watergate. And the empire is based off the Nazis and Nixon. And we act like this is some kind of great homage it, it, it to uh, to it, it's what it is it's it's tapping into universal themes so that we can all find ways of projecting what we want into it we can see some of our own um worldview biases and preferences built in and i i just think that to too many guys our age that when, when you watch those movies, those original movies today, there's some really cheesy dialogue. Of course there it is. It just doesn't seem cheesy to us, of but it does to our there kids. Is. Of course there is. I've never, ever watched Star Wars and come away thinking of my own volition, and even when people have suggested certain things to me, which we will get into later... I've never thought, oh, this is some type of, this has relevance, or this is, a, this is a metaphor for X, Y, or Z, or Nazis, or Nixon. I could give a crap about any of that. I don't care. That's not why I have ensconced myself in this franchise for, I mean, when you take into account all the movies and how many times I've watched it and how many hours in the playground, we used to pretend I'm Luke Skywalker, I'm here to rescue you and all yeah. of that sort of stuff. And then watching every episode of the freaking Clone Wars, every episode of Rebels, because it's something I enjoy doing with my daughters now. I don't care about allegory or anything like that. I don't even, I'm I don't just even, talking I about, I thought it freaking ticked me off because we had two years and it seemed like there was going to be a lot more meaning to it. And maybe you, you know, you can come back and say, well, that was fitting for the character. I just didn't like it. Lucas had three years. He still had Luke make out with a girl that we, he told us three years later was his freaking sister. Okay. So I, I, that's where, that's that's where I think this is nostalgia. I of think, course, it's nostalgia. I don't, I don't okay? think this is an honest just, assessment of the film. Let, let me just quality. let me just cut to the end, then. All right. Of course, okay. it's of course it's nostalgia. And upon my second viewing of it today, and having a conversation with my eight-year-old in the car on the way home, I asked her, Mary, what did you think of this? And she said, oh, this is easily my favorite one. I'm like, really? Thinking that she's just kind of going, you know, little kid, latest is the greatest. Sure. And I'm like, well, what's your second favorite one? She said Empire Strikes Back. I'm like, what's your third? She's like, Force Awakens. I'm like, why was this your favorite? She's like, this was more exciting than any of the other movies. And I'm like, what were your favorite people in this one? She said Finn and Rose. To which, to me, you could remove Finn and Rose from this entire movie, and it wouldn't mm-hmm. impact the movie one bit. And, in my, and in my opinion, if that, if you ever arrive at that answer, then they shouldn't be in the movie. And that's why this movie was the longest running time, because Finn had a high Q rating and scored well with the kids, so they, want, they wanted to make something up for him. 
Okay, but she mm-hmm. loved Finn and Rose the most. So I'm listening. I, I heard her, and I'm like, I, I, I kind of took a step back in my mind. And George Lucas has said time and time again that this is a movie for twelve year old kids, which I realized this afternoon, which is why I had such a negative reaction from the first viewing, and I was asking myself questions that night like am I disappointed in this movie because it didn't live up to my expectations or my little nostalgia world that I've created that I really care about or am I disappointed um, because it wasn't a good movie and I'm arriving more on the side of I'm disappointed because this movie set out to kill nostalgia or Mm -hmm. transition away from our nostalgia into a next generation's nostalgia. And I don't like that personally, but I understand it from a business perspective, a filmmaking perspective. I get it. I just didn't want to admit it immediately when I watched it. And, you know, I want to talk a lot more later on about, you know, Luke's death and and the impact that had. So I'm not disagreeing with you. I just was going to save that for kind of like, you know, the end of the podcast and wanted to talk a little more minutia up front. And we'll probably still disagree more on minutia, but I get that I'm 46 years old and this movie is way more outside the Star Wars box than any of them have been. And while my gut reaction was that's bad, Having seen it a second time and given him a few more days, I came to a similar conclusion you did. This movie isn't wasn't made for me in mind, and I do think it is a lot better than than what I thought uh, originally. To me, the movie didn't start feeling like Star Warsy to me until Luke went on the Falcon after he went past Chewie wanting to chew on some porgs. Which, as much as I hated Ewoks, that was pretty funny. Um. The movie didn't start for me until Luke interacted, what, R2-D2's 10 seconds in this movie, which kind of irritated me, but, um, again, we're going from R2 to BB-8, it's a new generation. When, when, when R2 played the old Leia Organa, help me Obi-Wan Kenobi, that's, and again, it's nostalgia, but that's what I'm there for. That's when it started to feel like a Star Wars movie to me. I love the Porgs. I thought I was going to dread them, because, you know, I don't like the Ewoks. I thought they were used perfectly. The right amount of time. They added a necessary cuteness factor. I liked them quite a bit. I thought they were used perfectly. I liked. Um, I, I liked almost everything, uh, except for the part about uh, Rose and Finn. It just not that I disliked those characters. I kind of liked the way they introduced them together. Actually, I just thought the subplot they went on it was pointless. And, you know, was pointless. You know. Um, it ended up accomplishing absolutely nothing. 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 Other than other than putting Finn on on that ship to face Phasma, which I've got to believe there was a better way to come up with to to, to make that happen. Dude, what was that fight? Like they sixty seconds did. long. Yes, but when you look at you know Phasma, will be their generation's Boba Fett character with the really cool armor, the the the, the sweet sounding name, who has an unceremoniously premature death. Yeah, you're um, right. Boba Fett wasn't there very scenes. much, was he? No, Boba Fett was not. Boba Fett was actually introduced in the Star Wars Holiday Special by Lucas in the cartoon <laughs> that airs during the Star Wars Holiday Special, which is actually pretty good. And it's meant to tell 
a story that bridges between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. That's where Boba Fett makes his debut. He's in Empire Strikes Back for like 10 minutes. He's in Return if of the even. Jedi for like five. Okay. Yeah, before he goes down Sarlacc's gullet. Yeah. But but we've had how many books, comic books, co- costumes? Why? Captures it's the imagination. Crazy. Yes, and the same thing will happen now with Phasma. You're right. Exactly. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, and so I thought that ended up being kind of smart how they did it, actually. You know, and in the, order to do that. Yeah. You know, I think that I think, I think that's good. Um, you know, you mentioned Poe, um, the transition from Leia to Poe. The first time I saw this movie, I and, and that's I'm reading from my notes that I wrote down that night. I'm like. Poe's character also seems pointless. But the second time I watched it and I heard Leia talking about, you know, we had a lot of, you know, we had a lot of uh, heroes out there, but no leaders. But no leaders, right? But there, there were several comments that she's made that their frame, Poe is going, you know, Poe is going to be the, you know, military spiritual de facto leader in episode nine. There's no question yep. they're doing that. And um, so I, I actually see Poe's relevance now, for sure. Yes. I, I think I told you last week when I made my five predictions that if I had a bonus one, it was going to be, tell me what the purpose of a Poe Dameron is. Now we know. Yep, you're right. Poe nope, po, you po, po Dameron is, will be the political military. He will replace what the role that Leia played, you know, where she sort of had these quasi. She was in the Senate, too, and so was her adopted father and—, and she so was had her a political mom. position of princess, as was her mom. Then she became a military leader. He will serve that sort of Eisenhower. In other words, he was he was a Patton, and she needed to mold him into an Eisenhower so he could he could walk and exist in both worlds yeah. the way that she yep. did. And and she has successfully done that. So you can see that that you can see what their new trinity is. Their new trinity is Finn. Poe and Ray. Well, Finn like maybe. Luke on yeah. and, and Leia. Right. I mean, Poe, at the end, too, he recognized what Luke was doing, you know, to give them time. Um, so, for no, no question. I, the second time through, I, I was able to more visibly see Poe's uh, maturation probably isn't the right word, but, you know, his progression as a character. Um, That's what I love about when I hear, when I read a bunch of stuff from people whose opinions I respect. Oh, they made all the white guys look like idiots. You mean the part where at the very end, Poe says, follow me, and they all turn to Leia, and she says, what are you looking at me for? He's the leader. Follow him. I mean, I I just – sometimes I wonder, do people watch movies? Do they pay attention to what's going on? Or or have we all just decided, or too many of us have decided, that our politics is so miserable, we just want to let it make everything else suck in life too? I. I don't. We don't have to. We, there are some people out there of, like that. Yeah. There, there's a group of people in social media on both sides who just want to make everything suck, want to politicize everything. This idea. I saw several things on my side of the aisle about how the diversity of the cast was made to to work as a story trope that white guys are the problem. Well, if white guys are the problem. The, in, in this movie, they're all dead meat. They're, they're until until uh, essentially Luke Skywalker slash Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino shows up at the end of the movie to save their ass. Then you have Poe, where you have Leia, who's you know the who's the woman passing the baton to the guy to take the leadership. Then the end of the movie, the little boy at the end of the movie, I believe that's a little white kid, right? Little white boy. That is gazing up at the stars, inspired with the force powers, inspired to follow in their footsteps. 
do people watch movies or they just sit around and think, I just want to make my life suck at every turn. So I want to spoil everything, even yeah. my two and a half hours of escapist fantasy. I hate those people. I don't care who they voted for. I don't care how they vote. I don't care how many things they do or don't agree with me on politically. I hate all of them, and I refuse to let them ruin what's what, what's actually worthy and good of sitting around and enjoying our American freedom over like something like this kind of escapist freedom, which we ought to be thankful we have the prosperity and the freedom to sit here for an hour on a podcast and debate rather than think about, you know, how can I social justice warrior this from the left or how can I how can I call out the race baiters from the right? You all suck. You all belong in a Sarlacc pit. And I hope he doesn't come up for air and digest you slowly over a period of a thousand years. I don't disagree with your macro take, but I mean, you just did. You just did get finished ten minutes ago talking about how Lucas made this as a you know a playoff of Nazis and Nixon, right? Right. But he touched on. But he touched on timeless themes, so that you know, even in Phantom Menace. So the so the the villains in the Phantom Menace are the opening two villains are named after Newt Gingrich and Trent Lott. Those are your viceroys. They're named Newt Gunray and Lot. Why did he name them after those two guys? Because those were the leaders of the Republican Congress at the time, and he's a big lib. Yet what is the story about? The story is about an immaculately conceived savior. I mean, so there are universal themes. Here's the reality. If you want to tell a really good story about transcendent good and evil that inspires the human condition, you're going to have to touch on timeless eternal, transcendent themes that exist outside of our stupid, trivial, petty political problems of the time and era. No matter how much you may wish them to be, only about these tiny little specks of dust in the in the grand scheme of time, political debates that we think the whole world revolves around, the reality is if you don't touch on, you can't tell a good story simply relying on being a prisoner of the moment. And the success of Lucas's stories uh, proves that. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I don't, I don't drag those real world things into my escapism. I don't, and I don't even care if the author of the escapism is trying to beat that over my head. I don't care. I, I care don't care about the characters well. and the stories. And and I've never watched a Star Wars film, and I'm never going to through that prism. Okay, um, the Force Awakens built up the Finn and Ray dynamic to a fevered pitch. I mean, mm-hmm. it, I think all, a lot of little kids like that. This movie, I think the studio forced Ryan Johnson to work in as many as... Uh, have you seen Ray? Well, when you, when, when you see Finn, tell him hi for me. Um, where, where's Finn? How's Ray? I mean, how many of those stupid little tie-ins were there? And again, the story arcs didn't work for them to come together and have any of those, you know, Force Awakens moments. But boy, did it feel like Johnson was forced to do that and mandated it, and it just felt really forced to me. I didn't, I didn't sense that at all. There's probably at least um, eight, eight mentions i don't know if it was four from ray or four from finn but it was at least that many you know, finn finn's first words that he spoke in the movie when mm-hmm. he was wobbling through the hallway with the water coming out of his little bubble wrap poe comes up to him hey buddy let's go take you somewhere what was the first words finn said 
Where's Ray? Where's Ray? Where's Ray? Yeah. And it just there was so many of those. But at any rate, um, again, I just Here, it, here's my I felt clumsy to me. Though, I I can't hold him so accountable when the movies that I loved in my childhood, we were all worked up for two movies about a Luke, Han, and Leia love triangle, only to find out two of the three were uh, brother and sister. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I, 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 I can't... We think those movies are cinematic pop culture perfection. And, and There's so I, plot I holes in those two, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I can't, I can't hold them to a higher standard than we held our own nostalgia to. But I, 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 I don't... I mean... Those sorts of things still bug me from a writer's perspective because I don't think I Lucas you. had yeah. the, so so I'm going to criticize both of them. Um, the, what was the point of Benicio del Toro's character? I mean, it was like he's playing a you know an older version of uh, Finster from Usual Suspects with his yeah. with his you, you know Benicio nice quirkiness, yeah. and it was what's the point unless. Unless he shows up in episode nine and goes either real bad or somehow redeems himself, what was the point of his character? I, I, there could have been a major point to his character if it was better developed. I mean, the, when the scene where the good guys shows, and the bad guys, yes, yes, especially talking to Finn, who is struggling to, who is, ju- who was just beginning to buy into. There is a good guy and a bad guy. That's right? a, Remember, yeah. he's a reluctant hero. Right. Okay. So, the, so to to bring that back up to put some doubt in Finn, I think if better developed and better written, there could have been a real point to it. Right. But but it 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 really wasn't well written and it really wasn't well developed. So I think that leaves open a potential moment of doubt um, for Finn, similar to Han. You know, Han gets to Yavin 4, and what happens? He starts collecting his reward. He's taken off, right? They're going to go attack the Death Star. He's like, I'm not getting into a suicide mission. He's out. And we think that character is gone. And then he shows up at the end and knocks Vader off course. He's had a crisis of conscience, and he knocked Vader, knocks Vader off course and uh, frees Luke up to blow up the Death Star. We Benicio Del Toro's character could have provided that for Finn, between the Finn on that ship and then the Finn who's willing to sacrifice himself at the end. But I agree with you that that entire subplot was so under, undeveloped and and unnecessary that even they even missed an opportunity to do something with it there. I, I agree. It's by far the weakest part of the movie. Dude, how how weird – I don't know the right word. The, the Maz Kanata scene where they – had her on the hologram and she had a union dispute and she's blasting. Now see, that's the throw-in. That's the weak throw-in. Oh First my all, gosh. Finn, Finn knew her for like five minutes. How does how does Poe know her at all? That to me was um, I've got to believe either the studio made him do that or he fought the studio to keep that in. I, I can't believe that, given everything else they conjured up in this movie, no one said, why the hell is Maz Tanada in this at all? And why are we putting her in here like that? To me, she's the code breaker then. You have to go track her down. You know, one way to solve all of this that we are just discussing is Maz Tanada is the code breaker and they got to go free. They got to go free her 
from wherever she's been stuck since her her joint got yeah, blown up in the last sure. movie. Yeah, no doubt. And that, yeah. and, that, and that solves that still accomplishes everything we talked about here. It gets him on that ship. If you want to set up a love affair with him and Rose, you you they can still be together and and they got and that brings Maz Tanada in rather than this weak plot device. I agree that entire thing was very poorly done. Yeah, and, I agree the, and then she's then she's easily right in the storyline for nine as well, and opens those things up to right. that. Um, okay, Ray and Luke, let's let's talk about, um, and this might, might wind up being a two parter. Um, their time on Octo together, I, I thought it developed well. I thought there were times Ray was a little stiff, but I think it was just how it was supposed to be. Um, I, I thought her interactions with Luke were phenomenal. And by the way, I think this was easily the best script for any Star Wars character that, that there has been in any movie, what they had for Mark Hamill. And he freaking crushed it. Just flat out crushed it. Star Wars movies, the acting, the cheesy, the scripts. I mean, I can see why Harrison Ford didn't want to spend a whole lot of time or as much as he did because the, the writing has always been pretty thin. Mm-hmm. But they 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 really did a good job for Mark Hamill on this one. I thought he played a fantastic role. I agree with you. I thought he was phenomenal, and I thought I thought Daisy Ridley actually was really good too. Yeah. Um, I thought uh, it was in a way similar to Luke on Dagobah with Yoda. He leaves prematurely, uh, with, with with without the matter being really completely satisfied or settled because of the pressing urgency of the moment just as ray did uh here in this case um and he told her this will not end the way you think it will yes and that's very similar to what yoda warns luke about uh when he flies away from dagobah you're not ready for this um so i i i liked that entire exchange a lot i thought it was one of the strongest parts of the film um and I mean, I even love the subtleties. I love when Chewie blows his door open. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the scene where R2 plays the original video that spurred Obi-Wan from exile into getting back into the fight and plays that for Luke. Uh, just a brilliant touch. And that's what, that going back to what we said in the last segment about the Finn Rose story, this is so well written in so many spots that it makes that glaring, gaping hole all the more obvious. The black and gold unites us all, but then what? Kevin the Flag Guy from Heartland Flags here. If you're listening to this podcast, you bleed black and gold. But what comes after the Hawks? For me, it's the Cincinnati Reds and Cincinnati Bengals. Nope, can't explain it. What about you? Packers and Wizards? Pelicans and Sharks? NASCAR and the Jags? Bulls, Bucks, and Chargers? Whatever flag you want, we've got it. Jump online to heartlandflags.com and shop our huge inventory of sports teams' flags. You won't find a better selection or better prices anywhere. Guaranteed. And to top it off, free shipping on all purchases at heartlandflags.com. Oh, and that Iowa flag you've been flying since the Hawks last went to the Orange Bowl? Time to step up and freshen up with a new design. Check out our Hawkeye selection when you're shopping for your other favorite team flags at heartlandflags.com, where you'll never pay for shipping yeah that's a good point and, and that might be why those things because i think you mentioned this to at, at the start of this there are times where this movie is as the very best of star wars 
period. Yes. The, yeah. the absolute very best never hit these heights before Star Wars. And we'll get to the scene that I think is probably untouchable in history, but that's probably tinged with my nostalgia. Um, just going through. Uh, I thought I, I really liked Adam Driver. It's Kylo Ren in this movie. Um, I did too, and I did not like him in the last no, movie. No, you didn't. He was emo villain. But this one, this one, early on when he smashes the mask, that's almost a sign of I'm 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 done being a little yep. bitch, I'll... and it's time to it's time now to fully take on the mantle of the uh, megalomaniac totalitarian I was destined to be, and he does it very well. Yeah, he resisted taking out his mom. Um, as, yep. as he sensed his mom there, as his mom sensed that he was outside there, and, and then he got to witness, like, okay, I didn't do it, but it still happened, so, all right, whatever. I, I thought the scene, you know, I, I really liked the... At first, it was awkward. I couldn't figure out exactly what was going on between Kylo and Ray when they were, you know, Kylo was on Snoke's big ship, and Ray was on Octo, and they're, you know, who knows how many you know light years away from each other. But once I figured out what was going on, I thought that those exchanges were really good and really pulled things along and really allowed us to see a side of, of Luke. You know, we had the crazy looking Luke and we, we saw the uh, the perspectives from different points of view there. Um, and, and I liked how they they foreshadowed something that I that comes later. Do you remember that scene when Ray was by the Falcon and it was raining? And she was talking to Kylo, and at the end of that conversation, Kylo rubs his fingers together, and he feels moisture from the waves from Octo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, to me, you know, it, it foreshadowed that these connections, while spectral primarily in nature, there is some physical carryover. Yep. To those things. Now we then we also saw Han and or um, Ray and and Kylo touching. And Luke came in and freaked the heck out and blew that little pot up. So there's definitely a physical connection between these astral projections that took place, which we'll come back around again later. And then when Ray went and, and, and her and Kylo were in the room with Snoke and how they did that and how Kylo was blocking his mind from Snoke and they killed him and they fought the Praetorian Guard, which I think are probably the old Knights of Ren that Kylo took with him. That 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 scene at least got one of the two loudest applauses in both times I saw it when 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 Kylo, you know, killed Snoke and then they teamed up. That was freaking awesome. That was awesome. And that was yeah, a part of the vision that Ray had. But that's why Luke said this is not going to go the way that you think it will. Agreed. I did not see the killing of Snoke coming. No. Um and still wonder what i mean there's so many things we don't know about snoke it's kind of frustrating yes he's the second I, most powerful force user in the galaxy maybe behind luke and we don't know anything about him i would not be shocked you know andy circus played golem in right. lord of the rings plays snoke here return of the king opens up with us seeing how golem became uh, or how uh Schmeagel became golem I could see Abrams deciding that in order to truly add the context of what happened to Kylo Ren, we see, we learn more about Snoke by seeing what did Luke meant by, well, S Snoke already had his clutches into him. How? Mm. Where did he come from? 
That's a great and, angle. And I and I could see uh, just in order to truly show us what's been going on with Kylo Ren, um, we could learn a little bit more about Snoke there. But um, that would be that awesome. Fight, that fight scene there in the throne room, where this time instead of the Emperor's Crimson Guard just standing there, we now see the crimson clad Praetorian Guard get fully involved. When she throws him the lightsaber at the end to save him, and he yeah. catches it and lights it right into the guy's eye, yes. it's just freaking bananas. That's so sweet how that was done. Yeah. When he when 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 she says to him, "Hey," when she, to Snoke, "Your hubris, your arrogance is your weakness." That's what Luke says to Palpatine. And just as Palpatine shows Luke, "Hey, look out there, and your rebel fleet. You think this is all a shock? We're killing him as we speak." Snoke does this shows the same mm-hmm. thing to her. Okay, so we do get some nostalgic homages there. No question about that. We get some of that. Um, how Hux, when he thought that Ren was down, he was going to shoot him right then and there to be rid of him. Um, you get some of the Cain and Abel, if you will, sibling, some, a form of a sibling rivalry there between those two, which I think there will be much more of to come in episode nine, if I had to guess. I just think that entire scene was brilliantly done. Yeah, it really was. And, and the colors, it, you know, the, the, the Praetorian Guard reminded me a little bit of uh, Flash Gordon Ming the Merciless kind of uh, oh, great analogy. set up yeah. there, especially with the colors. But um, yep. I, I really, analogy. really enjoyed that. And I think that your Snoke tied in with Kylo backstory is perfect because Smeagol became Gollum and Gollum was still in Return of the King and had a huge role but tying it into how he came across Kylo would be fantastic that would be and, re- uh, and remember you know for people who've never seen Lord of the Rings when you watch if you or didn't read the books if you were just watching them for the first time you'd almost come to come to think Gollum was a big villain okay and not realizing that essentially Gollum is the delivery mechanism for the ultimate villainous showdown, in a way, and he's and he's also in in Tolkien's in, in Tolkien's allegory of human nature, that the ring is human nature and it must be refined in a fire, refiner's fire, the song we sing at church, right? Um, that golem is the archetype of an idolater. The, that's how the how idol worship destroys us and it makes us warps us and it and it estranges us from the way we were originally made. Look at Snoke. He's a str- he's warped. He looks like he's been connected and reconnected of his just like Gollum. He looks like he's been you know beyond worked over. We know why the emperor looked like that. He got in that fight with Mace Windu. Why does he look like that? He looks like he's had about 75 reconstructive surgeries. Right? His teeth are rotting. You know, for a guy that is such a powerful Sith why does he look like a pile of a piece of human dung? Right. Why does he look like the elephant man who never took a shower? Why does he look like that? You know? So I think what we may end up finding is that um, Snoke, it was a device to bridge the main characters to the villain as, um, as Golem was a device to bridge the main characters Mm -hmm. to the villain in Lord of the Rings. Um, Kylo and Rey, again, before we leave that scene, um, you know, Rey reaching out to, or Kylo reaching out to Rey saying, you know, join me and we can basically rule the galaxy just like Darth Vader did with Luke, which was great. Um, And then the struggle that those two had 
over Luke's lightsaber that Ray tried to pull from Kylo's hand so that she could mm-hmm. kill him. That visually and um, you know and and, and it, the imagery showed, I think, that these two people are equal in the Force um, because they were both trying to get the lightsaber. They that it was going neither one way or the other, and actually, what happened is both of them were propelled backwards, um, sliding across the floor because of the other's power was repelling them, like they were opposites of a magnet. They were both moving back at exactly the same same distance from one another, which to me sort of set up okay, these two people are equal um, in in the strength and power of the force, and of course, the lightsaber exploded, which was Luke's lightsaber. But if you caught at the end of the movie, Ray still had the remnants of that lightsaber. So potentially she can uh, pull that kyber crystal out and fashion her own um, when she wants to. Um, the, what did you think of the Luke and Yoda uh, segment? Well, I'm glad you were going there now because I've, had, I've, I've seen several things and had conversations with people whose opinions on worldview and stuff I typically respect who are very troubled by this. Troubled? Troubled. Oh my they gosh, dude. It. I almost don't want to hear it. This is Star Wars, man. They see this as a a deconstruction. A postmodern deconstruction. Burn it all. There is no truth, etc. I I see this the exact opposite. In fact, this is a if you don't mind, I think this is a good place for me to to talk about what I teased earlier. All right. We're an hour in, so if people don't like it, they can bail. It's fine. So here's the thing. Between Malachi and the manger, there's 400 years in the scriptures. The Holy Spirit is silent for over 400 years. And then a baby cries in Bethlehem, and it awakens. The force is silent for decades. Ray shows up, and it awakens. Luke says, where are you from? She says, nowhere. Luke says, everybody's from somewhere. Where are you from? She says, Jakku. Luke says, you're right. That's nowhere. Vis-a-vis, nothing good comes from Nazareth. Before she assumes the mantle as the last Jedi, she, ha- she, is, she is tempted by the face of evil. Ren, join me. We can rule together. So she goes through this testing, this this trial in the desert, if you will, before she ultimately um, accepts the mantle for who she really is. There's this notion that we've been waiting for Luke, waiting for Luke, waiting for Luke. Who is Luke? Crazy old man in the wilderness, eating wild game, acting nuttily. Sounds um, like Ben Kenobi. Know? Sounds like also like John the Baptist. And in the end, he gives himself up so he can decrease so that she can increase. She's the one, actually. He's paving the way for her. Yoda says to him, you're not the last Jedi. She's the return of the Jedi. You have it all wrong. You have it backwards. All right? You're paving the way for her. You're not losing her. I... When, when Yoda says to him, hey, you ever read anything in those books? You've got all these traditions, all these rituals. Luke, if you've read any of the backstory novels or comic books of what's been going on, 
Lucas spent decades collecting these relics, becoming very learned in the Jedi religion. Yet at one point, Ray says to him, you have shut yourself off from the Force. Translation, you have replaced the, re the relationship aspect of our religion with the ritualistic aspect of it. And because right. of that, your faith is dull. It's dim. Of course you failed. You put this all on your own. You thought you were going to train Kylo Ren like, like, like Ben Kenobi thought he was going to train Anakin. The Force elects who its representatives are. But you do not work for it. You do not nominate yourself. You don't earn it. It predestines those that are going to be its representatives. And, and, and Snoke says to, to Kylo, I warned you. The, the more powerful you grew in darkness. Yeah, as dark rises, light will rise yep, to meet it. Yep. Well, you know, um, the people in darkness have seen a great light. Uh, when, 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 you know, uh, when Ray says, uh, you know, or, or talks about throw, taking on oppression, that's freeing the captives. There is an in, now. There's a lot here. I mean. You throw away, essentially what we're watching is a reformation. We're watching a once great religion that ended up becoming embroiled and, and soiled in worldly politics so that it became indistinguishable. And it's ironic, Luke says this out loud. They, they became so embroiled in the, in the world system. They missed Darth Sidious. They missed the fact Palpatine was manipulating him with it the entire time. This is... They're hubris. This, Yes, this you're watching. Uh, you're watching a reformation take place. This isn't a, a reconstruction. This is a reformation. And at the end, for the this is for the for the for the uh, the moving of rocks. You know, upon this rock, the first time Ray reveals herself to her friends as who she truly is. She she's the rock, the the stone which was the the stone which what the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now, this might all be a real coincidence. If it is, I should reconsider a career path in biblical allegoric, allegorical fiction writing because there's so much of this there that it's hard to not connect some yeah. of those dots. Yeah, I mean, Hollywood obviously isn't you know big on the Bible train um, overtly, but... A lot of a lot of movies, scripts, stories are drawn from the most well-read book in the history of mankind. So you've come up with several that are plausible, and I certainly, um, it, 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 I find it interesting for sure. I, yeah, I don't, I don't see they're not they're not changing the basis of their of their Jedi code whatsoever. I mean, to me, there she's reaffirming it. She's reestablishing. Here's it. right. Here's, Luke is. Go ahead. Luke is the one that's lost his way. Luke is the one that 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 doesn't see with eyes of faith anymore, but sees only lives by sight and not by faith. She's calling him back to that. She gives him one more chance. She hands him the lightsaber. He rejects it. You know, um, and then for him to come through at the end. Uh, I love the last line. See you around, kid. God, that was so good. Uh, and when he looks off and to sees the two sons, just like how he gazed off to see them before he left Tatooine to take on, you know, his true mantle. I thought it was poetic. I thought yeah. it was brilliant. I didn't. I didn't take it as postmodern 
deconstruction. In fact, if in fact Kylo represents postmodern deconstruction. He doesn't want the Sith. The Sith at least have a code. Kyle has no code at Kylo has no code at all. He wants no Sith, no Jedi. He just he is he is the if if Anakin Skywalker if in in Lucas's mind if if the fall of Anakin Skywalker resembled someone who saw a corrupt political system and was unable to fix it without it corrupting him that's what happens to Anakin right he sees the he sees the corruption in the Jedi order he sees that the republic is corrupt but he can't yeah, he ends up succumbing to the very corrupt corruption that he notices because he doesn't recognize the source of it, and it's Palpatine. Um, if what's the story that's the story here is Kylo Ren is in the end a spoiled millennial snowflake who cannot take no for an answer, who doesn't want anybody to be the boss of him. He wants no code. He wants nothing. At least the Sith even have a code. He's not immorality. He's amorality. He is nothing but pure nihilism. That's the villain that he is. And you can you can make a Luciferian acknowledgement here too, in that he was he was destined for greatness, but he quote wanted to be like the Most High, and you know that hubris is what caused him to caused him to fall. He didn't fall because of Snoke. He was maybe in the end he was using Snoke the entire time to get what he wanted. I, I think, I think the Luke and Yoda scenes and several of the things Luke was talking about. Yes, Luke was a broken man, which is what I thought we were going to see. And I think that they are setting the groundwork to no longer make. You know, Jedi equivalent force wielders have to be from a midi chlorian strong bloodline or an immaculate conception in the way that Anakin was. I think they the, the scene when when Luke gave Ray her first lesson and he said, "Reach out, what do you feel?" and she put her hand out and he slapped it. That was kind of funny. But then when she she reached out with her feelings and she she said, what do you see? She's like, I see life. I see death that feeds life. I see this and all this. I see this. And then Luke's like, that's the force. And, and Luke would go in and talk with Ray when they were in a little cave session. And Luke said <laughs> something along the lines of, to say if the Jedi Order dies, then light dies with it is vanity. Basically, Agreed. Luke was yeah. saying that the the Jedi is not the thing, and we've been you know we've been ruining this all these years. The Force and the ability to become one with it lies in each and every one of us. Yep, and we're not special they, anymore. They so this every believer. Yes, in other words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the Skywalker blood doesn't matter anymore. And the very last scene of the movie is to that point: a little kid in some dung heap stall in Nowheresville. You know, uh, the, the galaxy force grabs his broom, mm-hmm. and so and I and I think that that's going to set the table for some type of you know Marxian proletariat uprising from around the galaxy because when they were in that you know somebody uh, some, one of our uh, people that follows it's like I'm sorry I think it was like Hawkeye Thet, uh, you know the the cave on crate. The, the salt planet, he's like, oh, you mean Helm's Deep? Which I thought that was pretty funny. Um, mm-hmm. When they were in there, 
uh, on that planet. Oh gosh, where, where was I going? Help me out here, Steve. I was talking about the. Oh, I was got thrown off by the Helm's Deep. I hate it when this happens. Oh gosh, darn it! I can't remember it. I'll have to abort. Maybe come back in and talk about it later. But I, I, I think that. I think that this is going... Oh, I know what it was. When they were in that Helm's Deep and they were basically saying, hey, send out this distress signal. If people will come to our aid, nobody came to their aid. Nobody. Yep. Nobody came to their aid. I think what's going to happen is it's going to be like an up, uprising of, of the proletariat, maybe similar to the last installment of the Hunger Games where the people kind of came and take, took over and they got nuked. But um, I, I do think they're deconstructing the old nostalgic tropes and archetypes of you know only only the only the trained jedi can be force users and only people from this bloodline or that bloodline or have many chlorians i think that's no longer the case well it's the 500th anniversary of the reformation luther is an augustinian monk he's never studied the bible yet he has graduated seminary he goes to rome to deliver some papers to the pope and while there he reads the bible for the first time and the Bible is at that point in history, it's only permitted to be written in Latin, from St. Jerome's Latin Vulgate. Unfortunately, most of the world, the civilized world, is illiterate, or they only know their native tongue. They cannot read Latin. So the scriptures are essentially unattainable to the average person, which means the only way they know what they say is, if a, is for a priest to tell them. And you better hope that priest is faithful. And at that point in time, many of them weren't. In fact, there was a very powerful family that essentially bribed their way into the papacy named the Borgias. They did a mini they did a series about them recently with Jeremy Irons. They were essentially a freaking mafia crime syndicate. And this was the this was what was going on in the church at this point in time. Machiavelli's The Prince was written about the Pope at that time uh, as his motivation favorably. And Luther goes and he reads these ancient books that no one there has really read. And he comes upon Romans 117, the righteous will live by faith. And he said that was the verse that sparked the Reformation. What you're watching here is a Reformation. Not, that this isn't everything you just said. I could tie right back to the that that I don't need a priest anymore. I don't have to go to a priest to communicate with God. I can communicate with God right now. He wants to communicate with me. I don't need to go to a Jedi and say, What's the force say? I can find out what the force says right now. It wants to. It wants a relationship with me. Texts, doctrines, creeds. These things are all very important, but they are an unworthy substitute to what what the religion is really about, and that's the relationship. The relationship the individual or the Jedi or the individual has with the Force and the Force with them, not with not the individual with the Jedi and the Jedi with the individual. It's not about the Jedi. Luke was right about that, but his response was to throw the baby out with the bathwater. His response to noticing how they had corrupted their own religion was just to walk away altogether. Ray is the re is the reformation. She's the she represents the clarification. Well, Yoda, we're, going, yeah. we're going back to the old church. We're going back to the way things once were before the before there was a Jedi temple and we had ten thousand years of traditions and schools and bureaucracy back when we were just people trying to figure out what the force was calling us to do to serve one another that's what she symbolized yeah you know and, and i was hoping that yoda was gonna you know reprise the um you know like when he was talking to ben kenobi whenever you know obi-wan kenobi whenever luke was leaving dagobah uh in empire strikes back and 
Obi-Wan said, this is our last hope. And Yoda said, no, there is another part mm-hmm. of me. I was hoping they'd say, you know, tie it into Ray and maybe we will at some point in time. But the conversation that Ben and Luke, you know, that Luke and Yoda were having, um, you know, Yoda says, you know, we lost Ben solo. We can't afford to lose Ray. And, you know, Luke went there to destroy the tree that housed the, you know, the Jedi texts, the Book of the Wills, whatever you want to call them. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, it looked like Yoda did the deed for Luke when Luke couldn't bring himself in the end to break away from the doctrine entirely. He couldn't destroy those texts. Uh, And then Yoda called down the lightning to do that. But don't you think Yoda knew that Rey had gone in there and taken those books and wished them away on the Millennium Falcon? It's funny you mention that because I didn't realize she had done that until afterwards. And Amy said, you saw those on the Millennium Falcon, didn't you? And I said, no. I didn't see it until the second viewing. And it was clear. It was three seconds whenever um, Finn reached in a drawer, which, see, they showed a very quick cutaway. Yeah. They came back from some action to the Falcon, and Ray was just closing a drawer. I'm like, oh, crap. No way could you tell what was in there. Well, then near the end of the movie, Finn goes over to a drawer, pulls out a blanket for Rose, and you could clearly see it was those books. Well, that only reinforces my theory that this is a reformation and not a reconstruction. Because if they were reconstructing everything, you know, this was politically correct postmodernism, and we're blowing up all your old ways of life and all that other stuff. Then they wouldn't. They absolutely wouldn't. Have, excuse me. They wouldn't have preserved those texts whatsoever. So why do you I, think? Why do you think that that? She, why do you think they chose to preserve those texts? Because the texts are still important. Let me give you an analogy. When I teach worldview or I preach in a church, I will often ask fellow believers this question: What is the foundation of the Christian faith? Almost always, since I'm talking to Protestant evangelicals, what do you think they give me for an answer, John? The Bible. Well, they should give me that answer. Almost always, the answer they'll give me is the Bible. And I will tell them, the Bible is not the foundation of the Christian faith. And they will lose it, because they think I just undid Sola Scriptura and the Reformation. I always tell them, Christ is the foundation of the Christian faith. The Bible is important, but the Bible clarifies how we are to live in light of who that foundation is. Similarly, the same, the same angle applies here. The Jedi, for many of us who've watched Star Wars, the Jedi or the Sith, the people, are the foundation of the Force. No, they're not. The Force is. Jedi come and go. There was the Force long before there were Jedi. There was a Force long before there were Sith. There was a force for thousands of years when the Jedi thought the Sith were extinct. All right? The force is the constant, not well, yeah, the other way around. If you remember from the, um, the clone, the, uh, I think it was, yeah, the Clone Wars, when Anakin and Ben and I think Ahsoka went to the, got sucked into this world. I, I can't remember if they were called the Elementals, but it was father, yep. son, and daughter. Yep, it was the Elementals. You're right. A- and, yes. and they foretold that you know Anakin was the chosen one in that. I mean, they'd been around for thousands of years before. Yes. Yeah, what's happened is the Jedi lost sight of that. You know, when, when Jesus is on the Sermon on the Mount, he says a lot, you have heard it said, but I say, what is he doing? You have all these traditions that have gone on for all these centuries, but, you, but what's happened is... Your traditions, you have muddied the waters. I'm clarifying things, all right? We're going back to the original clarification of what the spirit 
And not just the letter, but the spirit of God's word meant for you people. You've lost that over all this time. And that's exactly what Yoda is saying to Luke. You've put, you've put your faith in the wrong, you know, Spurgeon, the great, uh, the, the great uh, English uh, uh, preacher, one of his greatest lines. Don't make your faith bigger than your Christ. Meaning, the, the process by which I show that I am a believer can't be bigger than my relationship with my Savior. Because if, if it does, eventually, I can't keep up my own standard. I can't keep up this kind of pace. I will fall apart. I'll become cynical. Works-based righteousness never works for anybody. It crushes us. It either creates self-righteousness or it makes us cynical and defeatist and we walk away. All right? So Luke recognized the self-righteousness that it created in the Jedi, but his response was not to return to faithfulness. His response was to become, was to become self-defeatist and cynical. Ray is the one who comes along and says, you're offering us, you know, I used to kid you on our morning show, that's a false premise. Mm-hmm. Ray comes along and says to Luke, you're offering us a false premise, a false choice. The choice between we're either um, self-righteous douchebags or we just sit here and hide out and, and just allow evil to rule the day because we recognize that in the end, on our own, we're probably not any better than the people we're fighting against. Of course you're not any better than the people you're fighting against. That's why you're not the hero. The Force is. And the Force can use a loser kid from from Tatooine like you, like it can use a kid whose parents dropped her off on Jakku for a pack of camels like me. It's not about you and me. It's about the Force. It's about doing what is right. We're right. That's very reformational style of thinking. Yeah. And Luke put himself at the as the godhead as this caretaker in his own mind and he failed ben solo and that wrecked him and that just shows that is not a foundation on which to have a faith so um last thing because this is we're an hour and 20 now longest we've ever done which is great i'm enjoying it the and you mentioned it the here's why i think on the first viewing I came away really not knowing what to think of the movie and more so leaning towards being very disappointed. Because at the core of my nostalgia for all things Star Wars is Luke Skywalker. Um, This came out in 77. I was six years old. And I was enthralled with it from the get-go, like most other kids my age were at that time and a lot of ages. And as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, we'd be out on the playground, and who gets to be who gets to be Luke Skywalker today? Okay, you're Luke today, but I get to be him tomorrow. I'll be Han. You can be Chewie since you're Harry and you're six. Um, that's I mean, I can't tell you how many hours and how much just you know fun kid role playing that we did, and with Luke Skywalker as the center of it. And I will say, Luke's death in this caught me off guard unlike anything had in a movie since The Sixth Sense, the reveal at the end of the movie The Sixth Sense. I was freaking floored. And maybe I didn't see it coming because I'm still, you know, a pie-eyed kid when it comes to this universe and this escapism. Never in my wildest dream did I think that they would kill off Luke Skywalker in at least the second of the three movies. 
And I didn't, I did not realize as it was happening that Luke wasn't there in his uh, physical form. Although, of watching it a second time, I should have noticed his, you know, he had the hair color by men treatment. Um, you know, he had coiffed hair. He basically looked the same age he looked the last time Kylo saw him. Um, you know those flashbacks that we saw, and they, and, and Rian Johnson made a point to focus on Kylo's feet on the surface of crate, and when he moved his feet, it moved the salt to reveal the red you know soil underneath. But when Luke did that, it did not do that. Should have noticed that. But also, Luke handed Leia, you know Han's you know rearview mirror dice from the Millennium Falcon, a physical object. Or at least it so seemed until later. And there was that... Remember that thing I mentioned earlier that when Kylo and Rey were talking at one point in time, and you know, when Kylo was on Snoke's ship and Rey was on Octo and Kylo had the water uh, on his hands? It shows that I think that there was a physical connection. And in the and Kylo did say the first time that he and Ray were talking via the Force, he's like, "Are you doing this?" And he's like, "No, you can't be doing this. The effort would kill you." He said that to Ray. So I think that some of the blows that the astral projection of Luke took from Kylo maybe had an effect, but I think the overall energy required by Luke who was sitting in Octo, which elicited an enormous applause when people realized what was going on. Um, I, I, I think that's probably what undid him. And him looking off into the sun on Octo, which every other time in the movie there was only one sun in Octo, by the way. I made sure I looked for that, my second viewing. Luke saw the twin sons of Tatooine with the binary sunset song playing in the background. I, I can't tell you that I could ever imagine, um, even the second time through, I felt this way. A more fitting and beautiful and poignant end to a character of anything I've ever seen, and it was beautiful. And both times I cried like a baby. And I have no problem admitting that because Luke freaking Skywalker is at the epicenter of everything nostalgic for me and that little boy who lives in me. And I felt on Thursday night when I watched it, a little piece of my childhood died, which it did, and that pissed me off. But today, I'm better with it. It was beautiful. And really, my whole outlook on this movie is different, you know, 72 hours after my first viewing from watching it a second time. And... I really like the movie on the whole. I think that's really well said, brother. I uh, like you. You know, I've talked to you. I've, we've talked in the past. I did not have a good relationship with the stepdad who raised me growing right. up. One of the few bonds we had was science fiction. You know, and when I was eight years old, he took me, or seven years old. Uh, we lived in California at the time, and he took me to Man's Chinese Theater. Wow. To see the Empire wow. Strikes Back opening weekend. That's and legit. We in line. For two and a half hours, because so many, all the showings were sold out, and um, we got inside, and that's the first time I ever played Pac-Man. They had it there in the lobby, and the scene where Luke goes into the cave, man, I can still remember looking at the screen and looking up at Dave, and looking at the screen and looking up at Dave, like my and little daughter did with me today, by the way, several times. And that scene where he goes in there to blow Vader up, and it's his face inside. I, you know after we found out that that was his father, that was a very formative moment for me. Um, you know, before I became a Christian, that was one of the driving worldview moments. I was so afraid 
I was going to become like Dave. Um, I didn't want to grow up and, and become like he was. And that scene really, uh, really stuck with me. Um, and that's why I really identified with where Luke is at now. I have spent the better part of this year, I mean, you, you and I have talked about this privately, really evaluating what I'm doing with my life. And a lot of relationships and alliances and movements that I've spent, you know, the last 10 years, probably the, the best, most, um, you know, uh, prime years of my career vying for and striving to be a part of have pretty much let me down comprehensively. And uh, I have really had to battle huge doses of, sanct- of, of cynicism. Uh, a good friend of mine just announced he's running for Congress. And he called me about a month ago, and I tried to talk him out of running. I told him, I don't think you'll, the good you, you can't do enough good to justify what it does to your family, especially in your case. I mean, you had what we feared was inoperable cancer that ended up getting in remission. You want to put yourself and your family back through that and move back to Washington. And, and so I, I get where this Luke Skywalker is coming from. I, I totally get it. I, I identify with it perfectly. Uh, and that's why I even more appreciated how they had him come through in the end. Uh, and that that statement that was made at the end where he essentially outsmarts the young man. It's essentially he does for Ray and for the next generation what Obi-Wan did for him. Perfectly matched, yes. You, you distract Vader to give you time to get mm-hmm. away. Uh, and, that's and if the you same strike me down in vengeance yes. and anger, I yes. will always be with you. Makes the exact same sacrifice here as well. And I think that it was beyond poetic, but powerful. Um, the scene with him and Leia, and I thought Carrie Fisher, you could tell she was rusty acting in the first one. My gosh, she is so good in this movie. Uh, and, and now looking at the fact that she died shortly you know, after they got done filming yeah, it. Yeah, that scene was unbelievable. Yeah, you almost get the sense she just took whatever talent, energy she had left in her body and poured it in to what she did in this movie. And that scene with her and, and Luke at the end there was just just powerful. I, I knew it was coming, and I still teared up and wept um, watching it today, like I did when I first saw it on Thursday night. So um, for me, I didn't need Luke Skywalker to act as if he was not battle-scarred for having failed the galaxy by creating the next Darth Vader after having previously been the guy that disposed of Darth Vader. I didn't I didn't need that. I, I liked the realism of a broken man, a man wondering where he's at, um, because at this stage in my life, I identified with that every bit as much as I identified with the with the notion that a guy who's has a problematic relationship with his father and wasn't born into the best family can somehow go on and become a great hero. That spoke to me at a different time in my life. This character speaks to me with where I'm at in my life now. And to see that he still found a way at the end when called upon to come through when they really needed him to, and not in a way that that was too idealistic, not in a way that was too perfect, but in a way that fit with 
what he what he was capable of. I think after watching him be so broken, to have him come out, grab a lightsaber, and start doing jumps and dives and open a can would have kind of looked kind of contrived. Okay, he's Luke Skywalker, man, not the last son of Krypton. You can't have Luke Skywalker do the Hulk Hulk Hogan. He just starts shaking, and and now he's in the crowds in it, and it does a leg drop, and it's over now. That's not the way it works. You want us to really believe he's a broken man? Then his last gasp effort has to has to show has to have some brokenness to it, and it did, and it broke him. It took what was ever left of him out of him, and I thought it was a fitting end. And when Ray says peace and purpose, mm-hmm. see what Luke's been lacking all these years is he thought his purpose was to be this great hero, and he was at like the age of 21 it sucks to peak at 21 okay and he has spent the last you know 20 10 years of his life wondering then what was my purpose here my purpose was to defeat Darth Vader only to create the next one and and I just thought it was poetic powerful and uh, I really appreciated it yeah it was fantastic JJ's got some work ahead of him. I think that Leia probably dies in the crawl, something along the lines of, hey, you know, some time has passed since the Battle of Crate. I, I think Episode Nine will take place years later. Yep. Just like Episodes 1 and 2, they wanted to fast forward to when Anakin was older. I think I think what we'll learn in the, the, in the crawl in Episode Nine, um, because the First Order is fractured too, remember? Okay, half of their command center, their supreme leader, was on that ship when uh, Laura Dern blew. Yeah, the up. largest ship ever to be seen in any Star Wars. Yes, other than like, so the Death Star. I, I think what we'll learn is several years have gone by. Rey has grown stronger in the Force. New Jedi, she's taken on new Jedi apprentices. Um, Poe has been steadily going around the Outer Rim, building up an army of rebels. The First Order has been slowly... You notice we've, we've transitioned from the Resistance back to the Rebels? Yes, I did notice that. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that we learn in one of the comic book backstories is that um, uh, the First Order was actually a contingency plan that the Emperor put in place. And that when the, the contingency plan was a group, of, a group of, his, of his Imperials were to go and hide out in the Outer Rim... And, and seek out a, quote, dark presence there. And that explains why the First Order has all the same tech as the old empire. They were, they're an offshoot of it. They're a remnant of mm-hmm. it. And so the theory is the dark presence they were, they were told to go and seek out was Snoke. Mm. Um, mm. But we, that part we don't know. We do know that they were uh, originally commissioned by the Emperor, but we still don't really know what if Snoke really does mean Sith no one knew existed did Paul Panini know exist we don't really know we may never know although I suspect JJ may give us a couple of answers because it will further Kylo Ren's storyline to tell us some of those things but I think we'll see several years have gone by this movie picks up right from the moment Ray hands the lightsaber to Luke in the last movie I don't think the next movie will do that I think the next movie will take place they'll say several years have gone by and that'll explain Leia's death and everything else. I think we can both agree the worst movie of any of the um, saga installments was The Phantom Menace. Yes. It received a 59% um, fan score on Rotten Tomatoes. 
Uh, Attack of the Clones actually received 57%, so that's the mm-hmm. lowest rated one amongst the fans. As of this podcast recording at 11.24 p.m. on the 17th day of December, The Last Jedi has the lowest score of any of them at 56%. And I, and I think, because if you read my notes that I wrote down, and I, and I didn't read them note for note because I've softened them, if, if I would have gone and voted on Thursday night, I would have probably given it two and a half, whatever. I, I would have given it. But after I've sat and ruminated and come to the grips and, and been honest with myself that my nostalgia isn't, I can't, I can't view this anymore just from my nostalgia or what I wanted as a 46 year old dude, you know, hearing my eight year old tonight, tell me that easily this was her favorite one. And then this, all the things I didn't like about it, she loved about it. It made me sit there and look at it through a different prism. Um, I, I think it was a really good movie better than any of the, you know, you know, revenge of the Sith. I really liked, but I would probably put it higher than any of the prequels. Um, it was good. I'm looking forward to it coming out on uh, on disc so I can watch it again. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Rotten Tomatoes thing because I did some research into this. And what I found is there are three major fan feedback sites that the studios look um, follow. Rotten Tomatoes is one, and you're right, the score there is is very poor. The critics said 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I'm talking about just with the fans thing. Right, yeah. right, right. Then the other is IMDb. Internet Movie Database, and I think the fan feedback on that one is a, is over eighty percent positive. Hmm. Now, and I now in IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes, those are like internet polls. Anybody can vote. You can right. you can vote as many times you want, etc. There's another. The third is one that uses scientific polling methodology, like exit polls and elections. Mm-hmm. It's called Cinema Score, and they literally do demographic sampling to get a wide variety, and and studios pay them to do this. Uh, Cinema Score, their scientific methodology, audience feedback has been an A. So when you look at the Rotten Tomatoes fan feedback compared to IMDb and Cinema Score, you know, that one seems to be the outlier, yeah, actually. It does. Um, yeah. $220 million opening weekend haul estimate, the second best ever behind yeah. The Force Awakens, which The Force Awakens was the first time in 30 some years that we were going to be reintroduced to Han and Luke and Leia um, that the, the the numbers that The Last Jedi is putting up uh, vastly uh, outpace Rogue One which was expected and are just behind The Force Awakens so um, commercially this is an unqualified runaway success and Disney has to be thrilled and you know their faith in Ryan Johnson they they awarded him to be the uh, writer and director of the offshoot trilogy um, that will you know follow this up presumably, and they were thrilled enough with his writing for this one to award that to him, and um, he's certainly delivering at the box office. No doubt about it. I give the guy a lot of credit. There's some things I would have done differently. I don't think it's perfect, but the balls <laughs> he took to do what he decided to do. You know, just dude to dude, man to man, I got to respect that. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree. Um, he's forever going to be the dude that killed Luke Skywalker, so uh, it takes a set. Although Luke is going to return as a Force ghost in Episode Nine, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I don't doubt that at all, especially with Leia not being there as any potential guide for Rey at all. 
um, because of Carrie Fisher's death. He's the last remaining connective tissue, and I think he will be there as a force ghost, as Ben Kenobi was there for him. Indeed. All right. Hope you folks enjoyed that. That is one hour and 37 minutes. Easily the longest podcast we've ever done, but it's Star Wars. So for Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.